So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hey, Julian Bezzavalli. Hey there, Patrick Hines. Happy Friday, you guys. We are so excited to re-release these The Disappearance of Maura Murray episodes because, okay, a couple things, you guys. Pull over. What's up? Well, we've got a live show coming up where we're covering this documentary again. The live show is completely different from these audio episodes, right? Yes, and let me tell you, I am at literally in the middle of a rewatch to prep for the live show. Yeah. There is so much I forgot, so much more I want to say. And that's the whole thing. These audio episodes made us want to do this live show. So the live show is this Saturday, July 31st, 7 o'clock p.m. at the Wilbur Theater. There's about 100 tickets left, you guys. There's not that many seats left. And it's not that far of a train ride. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And also, so just keep in mind, this came out in 2019. It feels like 100 yeah. years ago. But we like loved Lance and Timmy and Maggie from afar. Yeah. Now we're yeah. friends with them. And so the dynamic is just bananas. And they're joining us on stage. Lance and Tim and Maggie from the documentary are joining us on stage for the live show. It's going to be insane. It's our first live show back from the pandemic. We are so excited to be at the iconic Wilbur Theater. I went to college on that block, girl. I know. And also, I don't want to say too much, but special guest, I don't know. I've said, it doesn't I matter. It doesn't matter. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> so listen to the episodes. Get your tickets. TrueCrimeObsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. Get your tickets while you can. Enjoy the episodes, and we'll see you later. Oh, I know you're going to have so much to say. You, Patrick, <laughs> and you, the yes. listener. <laughs> Murray. I know. <laughs> um, I'm new to Maura Murray. <laughs> Let me say something about yeah. cases like this. Uh-huh. They drive me bonkers, bananas, crazy up a wall. Why? Because it's all questions. I know. <laughs> Nobody knows anything. Know. The person who knows the stuff is not here with us. <laughs> because all it is is questions. And I it's know. like, here's this batshit crazy theory. Let's go down this road for 45 minutes. Like, no one has any, could she have done this? Sure. But could she also have done this? Absolutely. There's nothing definitive at all. I'm living in a swirl of question marks, and it makes me really anxious. What did, coming into this, what did you know? I knew about Tim and Lance and Maggie. My boys and my girl. Yeah. I knew that there was a show. I knew that Maura Murray was missing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's it. Like, I think I, I think if I was actually visualizing it, I was like, there's snow involved or something. <laughs> I think. But I really, I, did, I didn't know anything about it, which I know sounds bizarre, but it's true. We don't know where she is. We don't know where she was going. And we don't know what happened to her. The UMass college student hasn't been seen since she crashed on Route 112 in Woodsville. A witness saw her walking away from the accident. She was going to graduate into a nursing career. She was a role model for me. Such a driven individual. She didn't deserve any harm. <laughs> Where is Maura Murray? What happened to her? How does a person disappear when there's three people watching? Do you wish you had gone back? Sometimes I think that I may have disappeared too. Fred, what do you think happened tomorrow? Guy grabbed her and killed her. It makes you think that this is a serial killer. I think Maura found out she was pregnant. I'd like to think maybe she escaped. She wanted to start her new life somewhere. Mara we knew was completely different than what's come up in all of these theories. Sure enough, I started peeling back the layers and I found all these secrets. It sounded like she was crying and she mentioned something about her sister. Why are you upset with the police? I think they're hiding something. None of the police contacted me and I'm her sister. You cannot trust anybody, her family, policemen, people who were on the scene. What did you do, mister? You will become obsessed with this case. If you haven't already, you will. This is a last-ditch attempt to solve this case, and I just want to find the truth. Potentially, this could be the last piece of evidence that could help us link anything to Maura Murray's case. 
I really think you can find her. Did you see her freeze? What's the longest time you ever sat for a stakeout? What the hell is this? There he is. That's him. What's he running from? He f***ing knows. Where is my daughter? Okay. I, I feel like my shoulders are at my ears. I feel like I'm just going to be screaming for the next two episodes. They are and you are. <laughs> Um, so we're covering the first three episodes of Oxygen's yes. series, right? Yes, yeah. So this week, the first three episodes, next week, the second three episodes. In case you had any doubt if Oxygen Network was going to Oxygen Network, <laughs> put those fears to rest. This is a reality show. Oxygen has a formula, right? So what they do is they sort of like take a case, they find a really smart, really gorgeous woman to be like the quote investigator. Okay. And they they quote investigate for six episodes. That's what they do. Right. So that's what they did for this. Before we go any farther, I just want to say Queen Maggie Freeling. You guys, here we go. Okay. Maggie, she's our narrator here, okay? She's a public radio producer based in New York City. Her work focuses on mental health issues and social issues. She's a producer at large for NPR's Latino USA. She's an adjunct professor at Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. She's an NPR Next Generation Radio Fellow. And she's also a 2019 Ford Foundation 50 Women Can Change the World in Journalism Fellow. That's Maggie. Now, can I spend the next two episodes talking about her hair and her tattoos and how gorgeous she is? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm here for all of those credits. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. Look, I know she has a job to do here. Yes. She did not write the narration. As far as I know, she did not write the narration. It's an oxygen show, you guys. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? It's a very high stakes case. Yes. People are obsessed with this case. Mm-hmm. And they just like went on Reddit and made six reality episodes about it. <laughs> But you guys, we are going to learn about this case. This case is crazy. It's one of the most high-profile missing persons cases in the world. Right. So episode one is called Everyone Has a Theory. Don't they ever. (laughs) And it opens with like one of those like quick recaps of what happened. Right. She takes all the money from her bank account. It's like $280. Buys all the booze she can (laughs) and hits the road. That's... And at first I'm like, all right. Okay. (laughs) She totally sounds like my kind of girl in that regard. I mean, yeah. so far I don't disagree with anything. <laughs> February 9th, 2004. College student Maura Murray emails her professors. She says there was a death in her family. But it's a lie. She packs her belongings, withdraws all the money from her bank, picks up some alcohol, and leaves town. Four hours later... She crashes. And then, Maura Murray disappears. Forever. So, we get Maura's backstory. Yeah. She grew up in a working class town south of Boston. You know, she was like an overachiever. She got a 1420 on the SATs. Which is like, whoa! Yeah. She goes to West Point, which I was like, oh, God, nothing. That sounds terrible. That sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she doesn't stay at West Point. She goes to UMass. Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into why in a minute. Yeah. We find out right away that she went missing the week Facebook launched. Yeah, they make a big deal about it because it's like, well, here's the first true crime case the (laughs) the social media is going to try to solve. It's true. And And they get into like a few more of the theories. Some of them believe the police botched the case and are involved in a cover-up. The Hayward police. They're lying about stuff, making stuff up. Others think the family is hiding something and that Mara was afraid of her own father. I'm convinced that Fred outright lied to the people that are trying to find his daughter. Everyone has a theory. Everyone is Joan Calamezzo speculating wildly. Yes, I know. Let's pull out the world map and speculate wildly. That's everybody. Was she having an affair? Yeah, sure. Sure. Why not? But the thing that Maggie does say that I, I really liked was she said that she believes that Mora, like the 70,000 missing women in the United States, deserve this kind of investigation. Yeah. 70,000 missing women. That's absolutely terrifying. That is unbelievable. Yeah. We definitely need need more eyes and ears on stories like these. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you guys, first stop, she's going to meet with Lance and Tim, my Maura Murray podcast boys. Yes. My first stop is to the suburbs of Boston to meet a pair of wildly popular true crime podcasters. The Missing Maura Murray podcast has had over 8 million downloads since July of 2015. 
Tim Polari and Lancerine Stierna have been exploring Maura's case for two years and recorded over 40 episodes. I love these boys. I think they are the cutest boys in the world. You fangirled super hard at CrimeCon. We, I saw them at CrimeCon and I got nervous. My mouth dried up. I couldn't talk. You grabbed my arm like I grabbed yours when I saw Gemma from The Keepers. Like in pr- nail imprints. You were like, oh my God, oh my God. I was, I was like, like I had never heard about this case before their podcast. Mm-hmm. They also made their own documentary. Right. Their documentary is more about the pop cultural like phenomenon of people being obsessed with the case. Right. It's really interesting. Anyway, Maggie goes and sits down with my boys. Yeah. So now this is the first time I'm learning the details of, of what happened after she yeah. got into this accident. Yes. Yes. So they tell us at like 725, they say, is when Mora comes around that corner on that road and like crashes into a tree. It's this really isolated strip of road where cell phones don't work that becomes important i know so 727 neighbor number one calls 911 so then which a bus driver pulls up who's also a neighbor and talks to her she said she already called AAA, which is a lie because there's no cell phone service up there so she could not have gotten a call out and he knew that immediately yeah super sketchy local bus driver butch atwood pulls up can you imagine crashing your car like some creepy old man pulls up in a bus and it was like a, was it a school bus driver yeah, school bus driver what are you doing out at 7 30 <laughs> at night i'd love to know so then by 7 40 a second neighbor yep. calls 911 for a second time and i think that is like the most fascinating thing at least for me is that this accident happens there were eyes on the accident it, it is in the white mountains in new hampshire but there's a house there there's a house here Someone pulls up and talks to her. There's phone calls made to uh, 911. And right at this moment where apparently everybody turned around or wasn't looking, she's gone. And that window of opportunity is, like, mind-blowing to me. It's baffling. How long is that window? Um, You can probably narrow it down to about seven minutes. What Lance and Tim are saying is that within this seven-minute period, there were probably periods of 20 to 30 seconds when nobody was looking at her. Sure. So in one of these little pockets of, of like 20 to 30 seconds, she's gone. In the dead of night. Dead of night. In the middle of fucking nowhere. In the winter. In the winter. <laughs> With no cell service. Right, exactly. Weird. I know. That's why we're here, Julian. I know. I'm just saying. You know, I'm still processing it. Right. And so now we're getting into the theories. She could have run away and hopped in a car, and that person may not remember that moment. 13 years ago might have been a small moment in that person's life or she was picked up by someone maybe that person wanted to fool around with her or something and uh, she rejected that person and uh, who knows where it went from there or it makes you think that oh this is a serial killer this is someone who followed her and waited for that moment and grabbed her so the family, Maura Murray's family, yes. they will not speak to Tim and Lance. Because of their association with James Renner. <laughs> oh, the bell makes her first appearance. Hey, girl. They Crazy. call it the James Renner factor. <laughs> Look, I have some issues with this one. Yeah, James Renner is a nutcase. I don't understand. Like, what exactly am I watching? I know, I know. He is so ridiculous, and they keep giving him all this airtime and seeming, like, credibility. Like, in one, in the same breath, Maggie will be like, this person's a nutcase, but let's hear what he has to say for 15 <laughs> minutes anyway and go down this bonkers theory. And I'm like, uh-huh. Maggie, come on. You know over Martini should be like, oh, I didn't want to do that. I fought the producers on that. <laughs> they describe him like he's the focal point of much speculation no he's crazy he's crazy he did write a best-selling book called true crime addict which is all about his years of obsessing over the Maura Murray case yeah best-selling doesn't necessarily mean it's a good book That's I just want to put that out there people throw like where that I'm a best-selling author yeah. no it was sensational <laughs> so then we meet Art Roderick who I'm obsessed with he's a US a retired US Marshal this guy Art is no fucking joke he calls Maura's family cagey <laughs> and I'm like oh my god He's a specialist in finding people and knows how law enforcement works. Art also has connections to the Murray family. He's recently gotten to know Maura's father, Fred, and has started exploring her case. He is the one who sort of brings Fred into this whole documentary situation. Right. Even though Fred, like, he didn't want national attention, and so James Renner thinks that's a big red flag. Like, why wouldn't the father want a media circus around his missing daughter? Like, I don't know. I can think of a couple of reasons why. Um, (laughs) So now Maggie decides, like, she's got to talk to James Renner. So she gets, like, on a Skype call with him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
boop, 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 boop. <laughs> this was like their pre-interview, but they aired it on the yeah. Oxygen show for yeah. whatever reason. But you know why they did? Why? For this insanely ridiculous, bonkers, sensational line that he says. The thing about Maura Murray's life at the time of her disappearance is her life was essentially falling apart. Understand that as you're talking to people, is is they all they all have reason to lie to you. Um, everybody in this case lies. So we're already planting the seed of like, nobody knows anything. Right. Everyone's lying. Everyone has something to hide except for James Renner, bitch. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay, we'll come back to James Renner again in a minute. So Art and Maggie decide they're going to retrace Maura's steps. So she left her dorm, she went to an ATM, went to a liquor store, and then ended up in Haverhill, New Hampshire. Right. They, they want to see the timing. Like, how of long course. does it take? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And there's also security footage of Mora at the ATM, but the cops won't release it. Yeah. That's interesting. This is another thing where people think the cops are covering something up. Right. Like, what don't they want us to see? Right. This could either be, like, the biggest deal or the biggest red herring. Yeah. Which I feel like that, you could say that about literally everything in this case. And they won't release the receipt from the liquor store? I know. It's like, we know she drinks. It doesn't matter what she got. But we know what was in the car. <laughs> Shall we? <laughs> a box of wine. Yeah. Yep. Bailey's. Yeah. And eight out of twelve <laughs> vodka wine coolers. Vodka wine coolers. I didn't even know that was a thing. Look, if you think my ears didn't perk up, I was like, say what now? <laughs> They're vodka wine coolers. You say. Interesting. Yeah. So Art and Maggie make this drive. The the one thing I was thinking about was like they're in Maggie's car. They've got a three hour drive. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Is it just a lot of like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, my yeah. There's just a lot of that. I think for three hours. <laughs> And then a lot of silence. Totally. And then it was like, oh, was that a? Oh, never mind. And then Maggie's like, what'd you say? Oh, nothing. It wasn't important. And then silence for another seven or eight minutes. You hungry? You want to like fillet a fish or something? No, I'm good. I think there's probably a rest stop we can hit on the way back. I think we should just get there. Oh, okay. It's silence. Uh, but what Maggie tells us is when she pulls off the highway where Mora pulled off, there's no way she could have been making this drive drunk because it's so windy and twisty. And we know the roads were really snowy and icy the night. And it was Maura, dark out. And it was dark. And so she's like, if she were if she were gonna crash because she was drinking and driving, she would have crashed long before she got to where she ended up. Exactly. But the being drunk I find to be kind of critical because people are saying, you know, she was drunk, so she ran away from the site. But I'm thinking she's not drunk, so did she run away from the site or did somebody snag her? The whole big like, dun-dun-dun, oh, is that like the timing doesn't add up. Right. We got here an hour faster. But the point is, I, with an hour, that could totally explain what happened. Like, like, did she stop and meet somebody that then uh-huh. followed her, you know? Or was she driving in tandem with somebody else? Like, these are, this hour could be very important or it could mean nothing. Exactly. Like everything right. else. <laughs> let's, play, let's play our favorite game. Gigantic break in the case or red herring? (laughs) So the next person that she meets is Maura's older sister, Julie. Right. And they went to West Point together. The the whole reason Julie is here, I mean, it's just fascinating to meet the family. But they bring up the boyfriend, Bill. Yeah. And Julie didn't like him. No, she didn't. And then she's like, he's a talker. He's a little much for me. And I'm like, I was like, she's talking about me. Yeah, so like, they just didn't get along. Right. She doesn't like hate, hate, hate him like James Renner wants us to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't a fan. Did he make her happy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. But well, I don't like the fact that it's possible he was cheating on Mara. One of the girls on the track team who was one of my friends said she had some some incident with Bill. Did you encourage her to break up with him? When I first told her about the incident, yeah, I was like, like, I think you need to move on. So Maggie asked Julie about their dad because everyone we meet in the family is like they were there. Everyone's accused of lying and hiding something, yes, whatever. Yeah. And so Maggie like just is basically like, so why does the media hate your dad so much? <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> and Julie's like, um, I don't know. Also, I've never spoken to the police. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Maggie and I are both horrified in this moment because yeah, Maggie is agog. Yeah. If that's the right usage. This stops me in my tracks. That plays into the theory that something is suspicious about the way the police handled the case. Do you think that if the police had interviewed you sooner, there was maybe something you could have remembered? Absolutely. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm trying to remember 13 years ago. Right. But of course, if someone had interviewed me three days or questioned me three days after, I would have... Had that exact info. 
the investigation might have been hurt by not interviewing Julie and affected the ability to determine why Mora left and where she was heading. When somebody goes missing, you want to like, you want to Asia McLean it, you guys. If right. somebody in your life goes missing, write down every fucking thing that happens that week. And keep it in a folder. And everything that you remember from the week before, write that shit down. Mm-hmm. Keep it pristine on that yellow legal pad like Asia McLean. Yeah. Put it in a, like a vacuum sealed bag, <laughs> right. which I assume that's what she did. <laughs> All right, you guys, it's time. For, it's time for our interview with Fred Murray. Okay. Here we go. Here we are. So the thing is, when I watched this the first time, I was kind of like, oh, he's going to be like a gruff jerk. Fred Murray is so, so sweet with Maggie. Yeah. He like sits down with her. He's showing her pictures of Mora. Old report cards. Report, report cards, like cards, like handmade cards that Mora made. These are from Mora, but I don't even know the age. Dear Dad, I just want to remind you that you are, always will be the best dad in the world. And she get a picture of the world here. <laughs> That's Mara's version of the world. Just the stuff of like, you know, she always lit up a room. At the core of this, Oxygen is over the top about it, but his daughter's missing and that's heartbreaking. So now we leave Fred and Maggie's like, all right, it's time for my interview with James Renner. I got to go track this bitch down. Right, because James Renner was like, again, using the word cagey and like, Fred, be careful of that Fred Murray guy. And Maggie's like, I like Fred. I know. <laughs> Interesting. James Renner told me everyone in this case is lying. Right, right. Exactly. Including him. Do you think he's got books to sell or? Uh, yeah, or. <laughs> so she goes to his house and they sit down and like James Renner has this completely insane theory and it just keeps getting crazier. And you can tell that he has been living inside this story for so long that he now believes this insane thing that he's come, that he's cooked up. Right. Well, she Maggie's just like, all right, so what's your theory? Go. Right. And he just like talks in circles and he doesn't actually say what the theory is. Yeah. For like 10 minutes, it feels like. Right. And then and then he just drops the bomb. I think Mora is alive. And I think she was running from the men in her life. I think Mora found out she was pregnant. Why do you think she was pregnant? The police think she was pregnant. They had searched her computer and found all these searches relating to the effects of drinking on a baby. And I think Bill was the father. James Renner's big fucking theory is that Maura Murray didn't want Bill to be the dad. So she like hightails it out of UMass and then like is driving through New Hampshire to get to Canada to start a new life. Right. He also thinks that she was driving in tandem with somebody else Mm -hmm. so that when her car crashed, whoever she was driving in tandem with picked her up and it happened really quickly and that's why nobody saw it. And he also thinks, falsely, that he's this close to finding her. Yeah. So there's this other whole thing and this is part of Lance and Tim's documentary too Mm -hmm. where there's apparently been sightings of Mora in these little towns in Canada. Mm-hmm. So we took a trip up to Canada, went to this record store, and there's this woman, and she said, I've definitely seen that woman here. She came in, she spoke with an American accent, very athletic, and I'm sure that was her, that was 100%. And at this one athletic club we went to, we showed her flyer, and the woman immediately, she's like, yeah, I know that's her, I've seen her. This is James Renner's big theory, that she's alive, living in Canada, and he's gotten this close to getting her. And he says to Maggie, like, you have the most resources, like, you're with oxygen, if anyone's gonna go find her, it's gonna be you. Yeah, it's like, episode one, end credits. Okay, episode two, a reason to run. Right, and it's like, previously on, James Renner is full of shit, but let's give him a ton of airtime anyway. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. Renner's theory on why Maura ran away goes even deeper than the alleged issues with her boyfriend or father. Maura got in trouble at West Point. She stole from Fort Knox. Maura Murray stole from the most secure facility in the United States. I will say that Maura made some questionable choices. She did. Can you tell me what Fort Knox actually is? It's a fort. Okay. (laughs) Where Amanda Mm, Knox lives? uh Uh-huh. That's what it is. Yep. Oh, exactly. Thank you for clearing that up for me. I think that Fort Knox, again, city, gay city hick here. I think that Fort Knox has something to do with West Point. It has something to do with the military. Yeah, but people even say, like, oh my God, I couldn't even get in there. It was like Fort Knox. It was like Fort Knox. It's known as being like a super, super, super secure place. So Mora goes to like the shopping center at Fort Knox and steals lipstick. And I was like, there's a shopping center at Fort Knox? Is there like an old navy there? You can like go to the mall? I know. (laughs) Delia's, the wet seal? But, like, the military police pounce on her. Yeah. It was a big deal, you know, because West Point, you know, they take honor code violations really seriously. When they found her guilty, 
they allowed her to withdraw from West Point and go to UMass. So that's that's how she ends up at UMass. So she goes to UMass, and you would think that getting arrested by the military police at Fort Knox would be enough to, like, turn you off from a life of petty crime. Nope. No. <laughs> While at UMass, she the was... The look of concern for her on your face just now. <sighs> because something is up. Yeah. Because when, when she's at UMass, she was stealing credit card numbers. I also don't know how you steal a credit card number. I know. I know. But she was stealing credit card numbers to buy pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about it is that, like, the campus police organize a sting. First of all, can you imagine, yeah. like, Matthew and Jim and those idiots? And are Kevin. Police? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, like, the little, like, boop, this. Boop. That's basically a golf cart. <laughs> it can't go above 15 miles an hour totally. or whatever. But they, basically, they follow the delivery guy into the dorm, and it's, like, a mo- little more Murray. <laughs> well, gotcha. Don't it hurt ya. <laughs> It's just horrible. Mora, why are you committing credit card fraud to order pizza? Right. And like she has to go in front of like a of like a campus judge. Of course. Who's super nice to her and says, like, listen, if you can stay out of trouble for three months, we'll expunge this from your record. Three months. Yeah. Also, remember why you're here? Because you got kicked out of West Point. Right. Like just I mean West that that Point. is that is incredibly lenient. Yes, yeah. Just like be good for three months. Patrick, does she do it? No. No, she doesn't. She takes her dad's car to a party. Right. <laughs> After the party is when Mora then drove her father's car at about 3.30 in the morning, and that's when she got in an accident right next to the university. She was going to get cited for that accident. At the very least, failure to control or reckless op, that might have been enough for the judge to say, you couldn't stay out of trouble, so now you've got this on your permanent record. Somebody who loved her needed to sit her down and be like, girl, what is going on? Something something is up. Where was the gay in her life? She didn't have one. She didn't have a Salvatore? No. So I love sad. how Salvatores are gay now. You mentioned him last week, I too. I made up a Salvatore. Yeah, I love him. And so this is where James Runner says, like, you know, all of these things. She was maybe pregnant. She hated her dad. She hated her boyfriend. She was in trouble at school. She's she like, crashed the car. Crashed the car. Forget it. I'm out of here. I'm going to start a new life. Because she, like, she didn't want to disappoint her father because she crashed his car. Right. So she, I'm going to run away and fake my own death like James <laughs> look hit the ATM and buying a bunch of booze and just like running look we've all thought it at least once let's just run and never look back get, but get your wine coolers before you go vodka wine coolers I want to get one right now I'm so curious about this I know I know so you guys oh my god this is where we hear of Maura's sister Kathleen yeah um, who's described as her eldest sister and confidant. <laughs> yeah, they they lead us to believe that she's estranged from the rest of her family yeah. and she's a little bit of an outcast from the Murray family. Yes, exactly. But she was also very close with Maura when Maura was around. Right. And Kathleen is at the, the center of the story that we keep hearing. On February 6th, 2004, three days before she goes missing, Maura's at work and at 1 a.m. she gets a phone call. Mora was so upset by this phone call that she couldn't form words. Mora was a wreck to the point where her supervisor had to escort her back to her dorm. The only thing she said when asked what was wrong was my sister. So here's the thing. This phone call is a linchpin of the Missing Maura Murray case. We know that there was a phone call. The phone call's real. Yeah. But I'm just saying, to me, I was like, well, that phone call could have any number of explanations. Right. But now we're jumping back a little bit because yeah. now we're with Maggie and Art and they're looking into the evidence. Right. So now the cops who are, up until now, I've been told by Oxygen, not helpful in covering everything up, just like let Maggie and Art analyze Maura's car. Yeah. So this is kind of crazy. Like- Maura's car, the car that she crashed into that tree, Maura Murray, like the most famous missing person now like, around now, yeah. they just, they still have her car in the impound lot. Right. And like Maggie and Art are taken to the car. They just, we're looking at Maura's fucking car. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I'm like, that seems pretty helpful to me. I know. I know I'm new to the case. I'm just saying like. <laughs> right. There's like a random stop and shop card on the driver's seat. Yeah. Not Maura's. No. Well. Could be. Who knows? I don't know. Right. Again, my favorite game. Brana, brana. <laughs> Big break in the case or just a goddamn red hair. <laughs> but here's what we learned that she had with her. She has stuff just very typical of what a 21-year-old girl in college would have in her car. Diet Coke, Twizzlers, IDs. And she has her school stuff, you know, nursing books, spiral notebooks. Right, travel toothbrushes, right. multiple shampoos, deodorant, lots of workout gear. She had 
things like if you were packing to go somewhere. Oh, also there was birth control in the car. So let's get that pregnancy theory the hell out of here. So that's the other pregnant Not only birth control pills, birth control pills with like two pills missing. Right. So she was taking them. And it's like, James Renner, how did you not know that? Oh, he knew. Like, he it's, just... That's such a hole in his theory. Absolutely. But I think you're right. He's starting to believe his bullshit. So there's one more hole. Now that we're on the let's like yeah. rip James Renner apart thing. So another theory about why she's pregnant uh-huh. is that apparently in her search history. On her computer. On her computer. She'd more, been googing. She'd been googing like the effects of alcohol on a baby if you're right. pregnant. Enter Aaron. Aaron O'Neill. And you majored in nursing at UMass? That is how I met Maury, yeah. We had a maternity assignment. So what we had done as our clinical instructor had advised us to do was to look up clinical terms and then email them to each other. And that's why she was Googling those terms and sharing right. them with we were all Googling maternity terms and then emailing each other. The other thing about Aaron that makes me crazy is this that... This is so creepy. I know. Apparently, Mora had borrowed clothes from Aaron. Uh-huh. And she called her the night that she left and was like, hey, girl, I'm going to bring your clothes back. And Aaron's like, no, girl, you're good. Like, why are yeah. you going to bring them back? It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll get them tomorrow. when I see you. Whatever. Right. So Aaron wasn't feeling well. She gets into bed probably with a pint of ice cream. She's probably watching Golden Girls. I mean, obviously. And she's like in bed and she hears a knock on the door door and she just ignores it right and the next morning she goes she opens the door and it's the bag of clothes that she had lent Mora. it was february 9th 2004 just four and a half hours before Mora murray vanished wow so if you had answered the door you would have seen Mora. yeah if i had gotten out of bed i felt guilty about that for a long time you know like maybe Ooh. things would have turned out different She's saying, like, if I had answered the door, maybe everything would have turned out totally differently. Maybe we would have, like, ordered pizza and hung out, yeah, and yeah. she wouldn't have been, been like, on the road. Why are you upset? Where? At least where are you going? Yeah. Because the other thing is the idea that Mora was lost. This woman, Erin, could have told us, well, she wasn't going there. She was yeah. going somewhere else. She took a wrong turn. Again, question marks. Just question marks everywhere. Question marks on question marks on question marks. <laughs> okay. Are you guys ready Look. to meet <laughs> Evie Pomporis? She's, form- she's former Secret Service. The answer is you're not ready. Right? That's the answer. <laughs> Here is what is happening. We've arranged an interview with Sister Kathleen. Jillian, where? Um, in a motel room, <laughs> which is next to the motel room that Evie and Art are in. Evie Pomporis has over a decade of experience conducting highly sensitive interviews. Whether Kathleen is struggling to remember or intentionally hiding something, Evie is trained to help draw out what we need. And so Evie is basically, she's like an expert on getting people to spill the tea, right? Right. So when I first met her, I was like, oh, okay, so like she's going to be interviewing Kathleen. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. This is an oxygen show. They have Maggie. Let me paint a picture. Maggie and Kathleen are in one motel room. Yep. They have two beds in it, and they're sitting on the beds facing each other. So, like, Maggie's on one bed, Kathleen's on the other. It looks ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. Like, just use the chairs that come with every hotel room. Right, like, right, sit right. in a chair. <laughs> Ugh. Meanwhile, Maggie's like, girl, I know. I, know. I did not direct Look, this scene. again, the producers. Um, and then in the room next to them is Evie and Art, and Maggie has an earpiece in. I know. So what they're doing is Maggie is interviewing Kathleen. Right. And Evie and Art are watching this on camera. Right. Like, the idea is that using these earpieces, they're going to be directing Maggie about, like, she's lying. Push her harder on this. She's uncomfortable. She's not telling the truth. She is telling the truth. Right. But it just seems like Evie and Art are talking to each other and right. not Maggie. Right. Like, there was nothing that I heard that made it seem like Evie was actually addressing Maggie and being like, okay, now say this. Right. I never heard that. No. And it's super uncomfortable. It's so weird. You yeah. can see Kathleen is like, why am I sitting on a bed. Maggie is a very skilled interviewer. Yes, she's, she's excellent. so warm. Tell me a little bit about growing up, like what Maura was like, what your family was like. Growing up was awesome. You know, my father would get us on the weekends and we'd go to hike, you know. That's what we love to do. Camping's the best. It was just perfect, you know. And Evie's immediately, just like every, like, body language expert, which yeah. is such bullshit. I know, I know. Um, she's just like, she's too happy. This right. is not normal. <laughs> this is not okay. Which, at the same time, it's like, Evie, Evie's ridiculous, but I get super weird vibes from Kathleen. Totally. So, I, I'm like, oh, I kind of agree. It is too, like, everything was great! Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
talking about? Well, so then they get to the phone call, right? right? The phone call with the my sister phone call, which is like the the linchpin of this whole thing. Yeah, Maggie is saying to Kathleen, "Do you remember this phone call?" And Kathleen's like, "I mean, I remember a phone call." And yeah. she's like, what, "Did did you say anything that upset her?" And she's like, "No, girl." And then Maggie's like, "Really, think, Kathleen?" <laughs> and Kathleen's like. You know, actually, I told her I was super unhappy and self-medicating and going to rehab, and then my dick boyfriend was popping pills and drinking in front of me, and I relapsed, and... Right. I mean, that was a couple days before she went missing, so yeah, maybe it was that. Maybe that was the phone call? Maybe, and Maggie's like... When you got out of rehab, did you start drinking again? Yeah. Did you tell more of that? Yeah. You know, if my sister was telling me those things... I'd be really upset. I'd be worried about my sister. Now, we sort of, for the first time in the whole history of the Maura Murray case, have an answer. Like, Kathleen is saying, I did tell her some really upsetting shit. Right, and then, and Kathleen still to this day, uh, apparently, is just like, I don't see why that would upset her. And Maggie's like, I can explain why. Uh, you're her sister and she loves you. The other thing, too, in this Kathleen interview with Maggie, they bring up the, pre- like, was she pregnant? Like, you're, you were the one she was the closest to. If she was pregnant, she would have told you. And Kathleen's like, no, girl. She didn't tell me she was pregnant. No. And so th- this episode ends with, with Maggie being like, the runner theory's not really adding Thank up. God. <laughs> but is he in the next episode? Of course he is. <laughs> All right, you guys. The Disappears of Maura Murray, episode three, After the Crash. We learned that after Maura disappeared, Bill, the boyfriend, uh-huh. he kind of disappeared too. So yeah, so we see Maggie has tracked Bill down. She can't get him on the phone, so we end up having a conversation with his super hot friend, Bob. Because Bill kind of wants to move on with his life, and so Bob is a little bit his proxy, it seems totally. like, right? And that, so this guy, Bob, is really cool. He invites him to his house, his very cool-looking house, and he debunks the whole idea that Bill disappeared when Maura disappeared yeah. by saying... He came as quickly as he could. Fred Moore's dad says the same thing. Mm-hmm. He, he was here for 10 days. He helped in the search. And then he was gone. And Bob was like, oh, yeah, he is in the military. He right. was stationed in Oklahoma. If he stayed any longer, he would have been hit with AWOL charges. He couldn't stay. And now, and, you know, and they keep showing that stupid clip of James Renner painting Bill out to be the worst person ever. And I'm like, but we've debunked his theory. Why am I still looking at his dumb I, face? I, no. Why are we still giving him airtime? Yeah. Part of that, though, is that, like, you know how, like, on the, how the internet works is, like, you can debunk however much you want. People are are never going to let go if it's their favorite theory. Of course. You know? So Fred Murray unfortunately knows a lot about that. Uh-huh. Thanks to James Renner. <laughs> Instead of James goddamn Renner, yeah. James Bell Renner. <laughs> so first it's like, did Fred push them too hard with the sports ball? And I'm like, who cares? None ball. of this is relevant. Right, right, right. None of this would make her drive away and get a new identity in Canada. Shut up. Right. <laughs> so... James Renner in that stupid book I can't even speak he's so frustrating I love you so much and I hate that you're going through this but I kind of love how crazy this is making it's you. bananas it's, yeah, it's making me insane because there are no answers at the end of it it's like I'm just walking down this crazy like fun house road right. with like mar- smoke and mirrors and then nothing happens at yeah. the end mm-hmm. and then I leave and someone punches me in the face and I'm like great all that for what so Maggie is with Fred, and James Renner is a nightmare. And right. so Maggie's like, we're just going to go through one by one, and you're going to tell me true or false if any of this yeah. bullshit is real, Yeah, basically. Yeah, and she starts with, like, why didn't you participate in James Renner's book? And Fred has the best answer. Because I anticipated that it would go the way it's gone. I had a hint with this earlier book that he actually sent me. I didn't think that he'd be uh, consistently dealing with the facts. I didn't trust him. And then Maggie, the music changes, the camera angles, and I'm like, I was like, this is it. I don't know what it is, but it's it. And Maggie's like, I'm going to ask you a really hard question now. Uh Fred's like, all right, like, cool. Like, I have nothing to hide. Right. Like a bullet. She's like, did you sexually assault Maura? And he's like agog again, my word of the day. So Fred is freaking out. How can you even ask me that, you know? It was alleged in the book. Between the lines or something like that, because mm-hmm. yes. I, I didn't I didn't pour through mm-hmm. the book. Is there anything I can do about that? You can answer the question. You could answer the question. I have in my in my notes, Maggie. <laughs> 
I was so here for Maggie in that moment because you know that's a really fucking hard question to ask. You of know what course. I mean? Of course, and like, she what, asked it. Boy, does she ask she it? She asked it. She obviously knew the answer. Of yeah. And the the whole reason I'm laughing is because he obviously he didn't. No. It's a ridiculous allegation with nothing to back it up. Even Art is like, well, he more implies it. He never really says it. It's just one of those things that like sort of is implied. Right. But then Fred makes an excellent point. He's like, yeah, but it's out there now. Right. And now it's on me to disprove it, and I can't. And this is where Fred says that whole thing. Because Maggie, like, she asks everybody, she's like, what do you think happened? And Fred's like, I think somebody grabbed her. I think somebody killed her. And Maggie's like, where do you think she was going? And Fred's like, I don't know, and I don't even want to speculate. Because that's the kind of shit that that gets the internet sleuthers taking a left turn when everybody should be focused on where is she, how do we find her? Exactly. Who cares where she was going? She's gone. Right. Maggie, by the way, has rented a house in the town where Maura crashed, like feet from the crash site. Oh, that's Queen KZ style. I know. (laughs) So they're at Maggie's house. Lance and Tim and Maggie and Art are talking about like the theories. Here's Mm -hmm. what could have happened. Right. So the first theory is that she left on foot. And they sort of debunked this. She couldn't have gone west because that's the direction the police were coming from. Okay. So the police would have come upon her. Right. Then she couldn't have gone east because Butch Atwood would have seen her. Because he was sitting in his driveway in his bus, quote, doing paperwork. With eyes on both ends of the road, it's not likely Mora would get by without being spotted. But here's a wrinkle. There's questions about what Butch really saw because he changed his statements to the press a few times. So he's either an unreliable witness or he's hiding something. So the other theory is that she like ran into the woods to avoid being seen by the cops. In the dead of night. Yeah. In the snow. Right. If you're that hammered to think that running is a good idea, uh-huh. you're not going to make it that far in the snowy mountains in the dark. Right. So now we're back to James Renner because... <laughs> because his whole theory is that she like ran away to Canada with a friend. Right. And now we have to talk to people who have no credibility at all. Also, if they say in tandem one more time, I'm on the screen. <laughs> she drove in tandem. Oh, my God. So one of the people that said we that she had seen Maura was this woman, Roxanne, who mm-hmm. works in a record store. Maggie tracks this lady down. She has an interpreter. They're, they're doing an interview over Skype. And here is the weirdest thing. Maggie's like, look, when this woman would have seen Maura, it would have been 10 years after Maura went missing. James Renner showed this woman a picture of Mora from like the week she went missing. Yes. So Maggie's like, if if this woman saw a person who looked like the picture that James Renner showed her, it couldn't have been Mora. She would have been too young. The the oxygen people get an age. They call it an age progression image. So this is the thing where they're they're assuming what Mora would have actually looked like at the time that this lady said that she saw her. Right. And I feel like James Renner's like, just say it was her so I can go home. Like, I don't think if he's questioning you, I'd be like, I just want this weirdo out of my face. Yeah, whatever. It was her. I know. The age progressed photo doesn't look no. anything like what Maura would have looked like. No, not, it looked- not at all. No. So what they do is they put that age progression, one that's supposed to be Maura, and then three other photos. It's like a photo lineup. Right, right. And if one of them looks like the woman you saw, you can identify her. So we'll go from there. Basically what Roxanne says is the eyes, the, the skin tone, everything on the face doesn't correspond. And if someone had brought her one of those four photographs back then and said, do you recognize any of these people? I said, no, I don't know who any of these people are. Do they identify her? Absolutely not. Right. And so this episode ends with, like, Maggie, this is kind of a cool thing where she tracks down this author, Elizabeth Greenwood, who wrote a whole book about people who have successfully disappeared. People who are successful in disappearing typically have a lot of money and resources where you can buy the most high-end documents, or it's people who have no resources where there's less of a trail for investigators to follow. Her whole thing is, like, if Maura had gone to, like, create a new life for herself, it would have taken years of planning. And more than $280. Yeah. And she says, like, when these people get caught who try to get these new identities, it's because they can't cut ties with their old life. Right. And all we heard about was how close Maura was to her friends and family, and her mother died. So this she is She would never miss the funeral. No, because it's not like Maura had robbed a bank or murdered 10 people, right, right. and she was, that's why she would have gone on to She's start She's not, a like, life. a fugitive on the run. No. And so the idea that her mother was dying and Maura wouldn't have called her, wouldn't have gone to the funeral. It's absurd. Right. Um. Oh, real quick. Yeah. We meet someone, real name, his name is Dick <laughs> Guy. Yeah. This is what's going to take us into the next three episodes. This is really big. Right. You were one of the first responders on we the were. scene. Yeah. EMT Dick Guy arrived on scene at 7.56 p.m. We were dispatched to that call. 
we drove out, there's a car that apparently impacted a tree, and it had spun around such that it was facing the opposite direction. We drove around it and parked. And he tells us that when he came upon the car, there was a rag stuffed in the tailpipe of the car. Right. This is insane. So it's that, and he's like, I've never, ever in my life seen that ever. Yeah. Ever. Not once, not, n- never. Right. And he's horrified by it because right. it's a jarring image. I mean, just think about it's it. It's really insane. And so the idea is, did Mora stop to get gas somewhere? And a person saw her, like a crazy person saw her, mm-hmm. stuffed a rag in the tailpipe, and then followed her. And then when her car broke down, which is what would happen with a rag stuffed in the tailpipe. It would like stall the car. It would stall the car. This guy pulls up and pretends to be like, like, I'm going to help you like oh damsel in distress in the middle of nowhere yeah. let me help you oh thank you what what luck that you you drove by and now you can help me yeah and then she got into a car with this crazy person who then did something nefarious with her right and then we hear about this this crew called the loon mountain three. Oh my god yes yes this this is another oh my god the next episode's gonna be so good oh my god so, so we hear about the loon mountain three who are these guys who worked at loon mountain like a ski place a ski place which like i'm from the area a so like ski place we're such idiots <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put the sticks on your feet and you fall down the snow the snow hill. So these three, we're going to get way more into this in the next episode, but the Loon Mountain Three are these three guys who worked at Loon Mountain who were in the area where Maura Murray was the night that her car crashed, who then like didn't show up to work the next day. Ooh. All three of them. So we're going to get more of that next time. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking out episode one of our coverage of the disappearance of Maura Murray. Episode two is available right now and ad-free on the regular feed. Once again, doing these audio episodes is what inspired us to want to do this live because there was so much in the doc that we wanted to do specifically live that we could not get to in the audio episode. So it's a whole new show this Saturday, July 31st at the Wilbur at 7 o'clock. Yeah, I mean, this thing is six episodes long. We have plenty to say. It's always going to be different. It's just, it's the best. Yeah, we're being joined by Lance and Tim and Maggie and special guest. We're I don't know anything, anything about anything. I don't know what yeah, you're talking about. We don't know about. anything. I we know as anything much about. about a special guest as I do about what happened to Maura Murray. How about that? <laughs> Get your tickets. About 100 seats left. TrueCrimeObsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. We'll see you Saturday night at the Well Bar. Yeah, and you know what? You can swing it. It's a weekend. Take the train. Totally. Hop on the train. Yeah. I'll see you there. I might see you on the train. Who knows? <laughs> You know I want to make a podcast about Maggie's hair. Yeah, I know. And like her her like regimen of like of moisturizing her face. Yeah. No, I'd like some notes on that as well. Um <laughs> Correct. That's like a fantasy I've had. Right? Fine. I'm, on really bad days, like, you know what? I'm just gonna gun it. Let's just buy all the vodka and let's just go. An eight-hour hike? That's insane. My little Lancey and Timmy are going to take their water bottle and go into the mountains. But so this person is going to try to bait them eight on an eight-hour hike so that they can also kill two podcasters? <laughs> Let's think about that for a real quick second. Yeah. So Peter, she drank a couple, which, yeah. you know, I... I don't believe in that. Do not drink and drive. We don't know. We don't know that. I mean, she could have taken them with her. Like, what if, like, as she's fleeing into the woods, she's like, gotta have my wine coolers. If she did and I'm wrong, Uh I will happily say that I'm wrong. Yeah. 100%. Because it means we will have found her and she will have told us. Right. And then it's like we have bigger fish to fry. Like, are you okay? She's been missing for 15 years. The first thing she wants to clear up is the wine coolers. Yeah. Great. (laughs) The first line of my notes is, Kathleen was mixing booze and pills. Oof. (laughs) I want Lance and Tim to come have a cocktail with us. I know. I love them. Did I mention that? You have.
Girl, Wild Grain is the sponsor this week. I know you are very excited to talk about it. I'm gonna shut the I'm gonna shut the hell up. I've been dying to talk about this. So Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Let me tell you, we had the croissant, we had the sourdough baguette, we had the sourdough loaf. Each item you bake it right from frozen in 25 minutes or less. There's no thawing required. What is like the word for foodie for people who just like bread? Because that is Steve. Steve is a bready. When we got our wild grain box, Steve tore, actually Golden tore it open. He was like, Golden smelled the bread, tore the mm-hmm. thing open. We popped the baguette right in. The, I'm a baguette and yeah. I, we devoured that baguette in 30 seconds. And you've been dying to talk about this for a week. Like, you, this is the real deal, fam. Jillian's like signed up for this for life. Yeah, Mike may, I'm not kidding, my hand to, I swear. Yesterday, <laughs> Mike was just like, I'm a little hungry. Like, a snack he wanted was the yeah. last sourdough baguette we had. And I'm like, we have to order more because uh-huh. I don't know how we're going to survive without it. So, fam, you can fully customize your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box full of bread, all pasta, all pastries, you can have it. That's right. And plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO to start your subscription. You heard her. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO. That's wildgrain.com slash TCO or you can use promo code TCO at checkout. 